A couple of weeks back, I was going through the Beatitudes, and we were doing a, a, a Blessed or series, kind of a small Wednesday night series, and we went through Blessed are the Poor in Spirit. Uh, that was the first one. Now we're going to do Blessed are those who mourn, because I want to talk about what this means. You know, the Beatitudes is one of the most powerful teachings that Jesus ever taught to the Pharisees, as well as those that were there to receive, as well as his disciples. Now, blessed are those who mourn was probably the most convicting one for me. Because when you see what it, what it is talking about, in its context, it brings out a whole different meaning than what you probably think it means. The, the, word, the, the word is blessed. Blessed are those who mourn. Now, another word for blessed is happy. Or in this context, it means God's favor or approval. Now, if you look at this, you will, you will think that this is talking about, you know, if someone weeps over a situation in their life, that someone may weep at a funeral, blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. And that is a spiritual principle that is 100% true. You know, the Bible says that the comfort that we receive, we can comfort others with. So that is a, print, a biblical principle. But how many of you know that there are people on this earth that mourn, that are not following God, that aren't looking to the things of God, that is not approved by God. So if you look at it in context, blessed are those who mourn. It's not talking about just anybody who mourns. You know, it's not the whole everybody gets a ribbon in the kingdom of God. You must go into the kingdom of God through Christ. You must follow him, accept him, walk after him. That is what being born again is. Now, remember, in the context, Jesus is addressing Pharisees and just people, people that were coming through. The Pharisees were hard-hearted, stubborn religious people. Remember, we talked about that uh, in, in, in week one of this. They didn't mourn over their sin. They felt they wasn't, they, they were not poor in spirit. In fact, they thought that they were the cream of the crop spiritually. So they had no reason to mourn over, over sin. They had no reason to, ha to have a, 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 blessed, a blessed or a poor in spirit mentality. Remember, we talked about what it means to be poor in spirit. It means knowing that everything that you need in life can only be met in Christ. It means that you know that you can bring God no spiritual resources of your own except through Christ. And that's what the Pharisees felt like they could do aside from Christ. So hence the context is Jesus telling Pharisees, because they're there, remember we talked about that last, uh, the last couple of weeks, but also those that were beat up spiritually. Remember, they were walking around with these Pharisees that were making it so hard for people to come to God. They were, they were keeping them at bay, so to speak, because they were trying to tower over them with religious rituals, and they wanted to be the priest that you had to come to to get to God. Look at the desperate conversations that happened with Jesus. Many would come to him and say, what must I do to be saved? Right? They would throw themselves at his feet saying, Lord, if you can just do this or that. So there was desperation in the air. 
people were desiring to be right with God. They just didn't want, they, wouldn't, they were not buying into the religious establishment of that day, but they were hungry for God. Just like there are people today that are hungry for God. The Bible says in Ecclesiastes that he has placed into the heart of man eternity. That means everybody knows that there is eternity. In Romans, it says that he has placed in everyone's heart uh, a, a desire to know him. You could look at the things around you. It says that way because man, man is without excuse. In other words, no one preached to Abraham. He had a willing uh, desire to seek God and God revealed himself. But the problem is people are filling that void with religious philosophies, with drugs, with alcohol, with immorality of all sorts, and God Almighty is the one that is wanting to fill the need that he placed on the inside of us. But in the midst of all of that, Jesus was speaking to people who their conscience was raging on the inside of them. How can I be made right with God? And Jesus would thunder back saying, blessed are you who are poor in spirit. Blessed are you who are, blessed are you who mourn. You see, Jesus was empowering that lowly thought process because he wanted to give them himself. If you want to come to Christ, you have to empty yourself of who you are, throw yourself at the feet of Jesus and worship him and acknowledge that I am poor in spirit and poor it being poor in spirit is what causes you to mourn. So as you, you will see these beatitudes build on top of each other. It says, blessed are you who are poor in spirit for yours is the kingdom of heaven. That's entering in, you see? Now as we continue on, I think one of the greatest hindrances to the ability to mourn is that we get comfortable. We lose, we lose sight of the fact of being poor in spirit, and we can swing all the way over to spiritual pride. Spiritual pride, which means I'm in. I'm in with the kingdom of God. It's all good from here on out, and that will cause complacency. We could get used to the, king, to, to the things of God. Remember Uzzah who was so used of the presence of God when they were carrying the ark, he just reached out. He's like, I'm used to this thing. And when he reached out his hand to steady it, he was struck dead because he was used of the presence of God, which caused him to die. So what's the balance? There is a balance, and we're going to get to that. Remember, being poor in spirit is not a bad thing. It's a good thing. Being poor in spirit in every area of your life is being totally dependent on Christ. Totally. You see, when we mature, we don't mature from Christ. We mature in Christ. In other words, the closer you get to God, the more you realize how awesome he is and how, how much we fall short. It's a growing revelation of God, and it's a growing revelation of ourselves. And that's why we must be in Christ. That's how we're made complete. Remember what we talked about during the exhortation. That is the key. That is the ticket. When you see Christ, 
you see yourself. If you don't see Christ as Lord, you are nothing but a Simon. Trying to do it all in your own. You're not empowered. You're, you're going through this life with, the, with the, the flesh ruling you, making you totally miserable. And that's not poor in spirit because poor in spirit is recognizing I need Christ. That be, being in Christ will lift me up out of this pit. So I don't want you to think it's just hum, worldly humility. It's not worldly humility. It's like Pastor Todd always says, if Satan cannot tear you down, he will puff you up. Now, I want to give you an example of something in the New Testament that was going on. It's in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 1 through 2. And I just want to preface this by saying, you can get to a place where you just get lulled to sleep. Now watch this. It's actually reported that there is immorality among you, an immorality of such a kind as does not even exist among the Gentiles, that someone has his father's wife. And look what it says. And you have become arrogant and have not mourned, instead in order that the one who has done this deed might be removed from your midst. In other words, someone was committing immorality and the church was just like, well, that's him. They, they, they were not addressing the issue, and it was bringing the church down spiritually. Now, in Corinth, it was already a very immoral place. And so the gospel was penetrating that place, and it was bringing light, but yet people were still stuck in some of their old ways, still trying to marry the two. And Paul was coming and saying, listen, guys, we cannot have this. It was bringing down the temperature of the church. Now, we can get such, to such a place where we grieve the Spirit of God. Paul spoke to Timothy about having a seared conscience, which gives us a numbness. Listen, when you get into numbness, you are already in trouble spiritually. When you get into numbness, you're already in trouble. It's interesting that Paul used a seared conscience. The conscience is in the prefrontal cortex of the brain. In other words, right here in the front is where your conscience is. And when it's seared, it goes back to an old thought process on slavery in the Hebrew days. Uh, the master would, would uh, brand the slave on the forehead. And so it's a spiritual principle that when you stay numb, when you continue to go down that road, your conscience can be seared and you go into spiritual slavery. In other words, that, that thing that you walked away from over a period of time when you say, well, I'm maturing in Christ, and that thing comes up again and you just go back, and before it was a problem, now it's not a problem, something's wrong. It's the view that would, would the Lord delivered you from. If you think you can go back to it and call it spiritually mature, you are deceived. And it comes from being spiritually numb, from having your conscience seared. Losing our spiritual sensitivity towards God is a huge problem because then you go into lukewarmness. And it, that is where you are in the inability to mourn or respond to the Holy Spirit. 
Now, if you understand this, you have to understand the Holy Spirit is not slack. The Holy Spirit's like, hey, guys, I like what we're doing here, but, man, I really need a break. The Holy Spirit's not trying to go on vacation. The issue is, what are we doing to stifle the growth in our life, because he's always willing to take you further, to take you higher, to empower you. So anything that you have in your life that is causing lack spiritually, it's on us. It's never on God. So if we understand that, then we know, okay, I have as much of God as I want. God is willing to totally devastate your existence with his presence We just can't hold it. We're giving him little pieces, and God comes in, but God wants all of us. He wants us to literally empty out every area of our life so he could come in and flood us. And when that happens, your spidey senses, like Spider-Man, you get it? Okay. Your spiritual senses come alive. You ever notice when you get real close to God, you... You feel different than you did maybe a week ago. You start to be like, oh, man, this is really grieving me more. What's happening? You're going further into Christ in your own walk. And the further you go, the closer you feel, the more empowered you feel. That's where you, you rise up in the ability to walk away from things that are tugging you down. Or is that just me? Let me tell you, I preach this to myself, all right? It's always, this worked on me first, okay? Spiritual sensitivity of the presence of God is the fuel that ignites our passion, but it also sustains our journey. It's miserable when you're a Christian just to be a Christian for Christian's sake. If you don't have the power of God and and your Christianity is not exciting, (laughs) it's like you're in the world, and then you jump over the, to Christ, and then you get on the fence, and it's miserable. Go all in or go all in, because other than that, you're just making yourself miserable. I'm not encouraging you to sin. I'm saying hit the gas and go either right or left. Now, and I'm once again... I always speak this to myself. Listen, in my life, I have learned that lack of sensitivity will hinder me from finding direction and receiving wisdom from God. It will even hinder me from seeing what's in my own heart because I'll start to look at what other people can do and can't do and not trust the sensitivity of the spirit in my own life. Now, listen, I'm not going to give you a step-by-step process on how to mourn. Because you are where you are in your relationship with God. And some of you may be so close to God that you are already experiencing the sensitivity in, in, the, in that fellowship that is priceless, matchless. Or you could be over here holding on to something that the Holy Spirit's been saying, man, let that go, I have so much more that I want to give you. I have so much more I want to do, but you cannot take this with you. If you drop this, trust me, we are going somewhere. But God don't want you to take this with you there because when you get there, that thing will destroy this. 
So lay it down, throw it down, kick it far from you, put it in a boat and kick that boat away from you and run this way. Praise God. Listen, our temperature can be taken in regards to sensing his presence or lack thereof. That's how you take the temperature of where you're at or where you are. So which brings me to the first point here. Grieving the Holy Spirit stifles our sensitivity and ability to mourn over sin. Now we're going to stay on mourning, but I want to go to what I believe is the, the thing that hinders the mourning aspect. And, and what causes the sensitivity to go down, at least in my own life. Ephesians 4.30, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Now this word grieved is the word lupti. <laughs> lupti, you know, it really does. I mean, I don't know if it has anything to do with the little catchphrases we say. But, but it comes from a word called lupi, which makes it even kind of funnier. But listen what it means. It means to cause pain, to cause grief, and to cause sorrow. But it gets better than that. It is referred to in the context of a husband and wife. And the husband or wife finds out that the spouse has been cheating. When we grieve the Spirit of God... It's not God sitting on a throne with a lightning bolt. It's pain and sorrow and grief. Now, I don't know how you view your relationship with Jesus. If you have a rule mentality and it's religion, you won't understand the relationship aspect of this word. It's a, it's a picture that brings shock, devastation, and hurt in the highest order. When you grieve the Holy Spirit, that's what God is saying we do to him. You know, because here's what people say. Well, God is a loving God, and he is a loving God. So my question is, why would you want to come at a loving God? If he loves you so much, why use that as a blank check to do whatever you want? Why not see it for what it is and run to it, and you love God the same way. See, we, we, it's like we take advantage of the love of God and say, well, he understands. But it changed my view of sin when I started to say, man, I'm hurting the one who took my place. Over and over and over again. God loves you. You know, Pastor Brandon spoke on this verse a while back, Psalms 139, 17 through 18. How precious are your thoughts about me, O God. They cannot be numbered. I can't even count them. They outnumber the grains of sand. Now listen, he left heaven to come here to redeem us, to indwell us, to empower us, to lead us, to help us, to to guide us. This is all actions that he's doing because he loves us, not because God is bored and he has nothing to do. I mean, he used to come down in the Old Testament. That wasn't good enough. He could be around them. He wanted to get in you. You cannot get more intimate and closer than that. 
And God initiated that. You and I didn't. Listen, if you feel a drawing to come to Christ, that's not you. You're just listening and responding to what he's already been doing since the day you were born. He's trying to get you to come to him. So when you understand that, relationship kicks in and it bashes Phariseeism. <laughs> then you start to appreciate the bondages that you walked away from because you, you, then you start to realize that Jesus could have left you there. Jesus could have left me there in the filth and everything that I was doing, but he didn't. He would come, draw, pull, impact. My mom would be praying, my dad would be praying, and those Doberman pinchers would be coming, biting me on the ankles, saying, get out of here, stop doing that. But Jesus never gave up. Listen, when I first gave my life to the Lord, no one had to teach me how to seek God. Your passion will fuel that. No one had to teach you how to date your spouse. You just wanted to be around them. You send those little crazy text messages and guys sending hearts in the eyes. And What is that? That's love. That's passion. You're not trying to go show your workers. Man, look at this heart I sent my wife. But passion makes you do some crazy things. Passion drives you. Nobody has to talk you in or out. You're in. The, the spirit, the, the sensitivity of the spirit is what fuels your passion. The more you in tune with him, the more you want. God is that good. You want more and more and more. If you don't, it's because you're getting more and more and more of the world. See, to go this way, you can't go this way. You have to take a step and move back towards God. Look at David. There came a point in his life. Where he became stagnant. His fleshly appetite flared up and it diminished his passion. But it also diminished his resistance to fight sin. That's where we get in the ditch. We're trying to fight acts where we should be running towards passion. If you know that you're hurting somebody, that passion that you have will keep you away from that. But if you're doing rules, you're keeping check. Well, I, I did this, but I also did this, 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 and this. So that means I have enough in my account that I could go run and do this because God is gracious, merciful, long-suffering, patience, and kind. Next thing you know, you got a blank check for greasy grace, and Satan has duped you to thinking that you can do whatever you want. And then you start to wonder, where's my passion? Where's the joy of the Lord the Bible speaks about? And God is saying, I've been here. It's you. Why don't you come back? Why don't you just come back, walk back? Listen, he still loved God. He was just making horrible choices that he did not stop and catch before it was too late, and it cost him majorly. Do you, it's really the paper cuts of Christianity that hinder you. It's not these big, elaborate, pounding-on-the-head sins. A lot of times it's the small things, the little foxes, that you start to say, well, this is not so bad. Oh, I went back to God. I still felt the goosebumps when I had K-Love on, so I'm good. 
And then we walk away. Man, I didn't feel goosebumps. I just need to listen to the song a little bit longer. Man, you, I'm tired of living from song to song, sermon to sermon, conference to conference, Wednesday to Sunday, Sunday to Wednesday, right? Just jump in and go forward. Keep going. When the things tug, don't worry about this. Worry about where's my passion? Why am I getting stagnant? What's going on in me? Am I stifling the spirit? Am I pushing him at bay because of the things that I want to do? Congratulations. That means you're a card-carrying member of the Christian organization. That's the fight. Satan's not going to come with a pitchfork and be like, hey, man, how's it going? No, no, he's going to come slowly. He's going to come in through somebody at work and give you some bitterness, some reason to get bitter. Then you're going to go to, the, to Chick-fil-A. Well, I'm not going to say Chick-fil-A because they really get your order right all the time. But, but you go somewhere else, and next thing you know, you hot-headed because this happened. And then you get aggravated because now the lady messed your order up or the guy messed your order up. Then you get on the phone with your wife, and she tells you oh, the water line busted. Then you get mad. You're like, God, I'm serving you, and look all the stuff that's going wrong. Little small things. And the next thing you know, you have a horrible attitude. That leaks into the next day. That leaks into the next day. Next thing you know, you're just going your own way and you're saying, you know what? I'll get it right sooner or later. And too, too many of those episodes, that's what we end up becoming because we're not paying attention to the small things. Or maybe that's just me. <laughs> it says, Psalms 32, 3 and 5, for when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as the heat of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity, I said, and I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave my iniquity. Here's the question. How many of you are in between verse 4 and 5? And how long do you want to stay there? Keep silent about my sin, or coddle my sin, or excuse my sin, or be comfortable in my sin. Listen, what's more important, your passion or your appetite? Because if you got the right passion, it fuels the right appetite. So if you pay attention to the leading of the Lord, but listen, this is the thing that separates religion from relationship. That relationship is so sweet that you get to that place with the Lord and this is all you want. Religion gives you that checklist we were talking about. You can put your foot in, you can put your foot out. Okay, that started to sound a little bit too much. <laughs> but really, that's what religion does because you see, that's what the Pharisees were doing. They had taken the law and they had come up with like 600-something laws because they were thriving on that. They, they love laws. I mean, I don't know what it is about man or woman that they look at things. They like to see something on a wall and say, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. Maybe it's just grace, but I'd rather go into what has already been done and just maintain that joy and peace and stay in the presence of God because that way is miserable. It's miserable. Remember, passion will, will fuel what's on this list right here. 
then you're not looking, oh, I, I need to stop doing this. I need to not do this. I need to maybe not do this. And, man, I like this one. I'm a, so I'm going to not do maybe these three. That way I can still do that. No. When you have passion, you look at that list and you're like, I don't want anything to do with that. And it's not legalism. Listen, legalism almost destroyed me. So I'm not talking about legalism. I'm talking about passion and following God and let the chips fall where they may in your own life. So, and listen, it doesn't just have to be sin. It could be something that's robbing you. It could be time. It could be, well, so-and-so could do this, but I can't do it. Well, they don't have the same purpose as you. God's trying to do something different that's going to affect this that he's not doing with them in this area. Have you ever thought about that? It's not necessarily a sinful thing. It's just it don't need to be in your life. You see, as far as I'm concerned, God knows my appetites. So I may not do things that you can do or go where you can go because God knows my appetite. He just knows. He knows my appetite and I put my faith and trust in how well he knows me more than I know myself. Amen. I would encourage you to look at some of those things. Listen, our responsibility is to stay in tune with the Spirit of God. What, what, what we want is we want God to do it all. We want him to keep us on fire. We want him to, to totally take the stumbling blocks out, right? We, we have to tap in. We have to seek the Lord. Seek me with all your heart. I mean, of course God wants to just blow up your house and come sit in there and visit with you. Of course he does. He could have done that. He could have just came and said, hey, guys, here I am. But he wants you to seek him because he's already been seeking you. And so when you understand that, when you're walking away from God, you're doing what you shouldn't be doing. The Bible says that he's pursuing us. So all you have to do is turn around and there he is. See, goodness and mercy follow me. I don't want him to follow me. Where do you think goodness and mercy comes from? God. I want that to be part of my life. So I don't want to walk away from it. I want to embrace it and walk in it. Listen, you have kids, some of you have kids, and you may not want your kid, when they, when they bring their friends over, you may say, hey, I don't want you in the cabinet. I don't want you, I want you to take your shoes off. That way you don't mess up the carpet. Now, as a teenager, you may say, man, I don't understand why you want this done. And the parent may say, well, it's just because I said so. But then the kids bring their friends over and they like, you can, get in the, you can go in the cupboard. You can get whatever you want. You can keep your shoes on. Isn't that disrespectful? Now, what if the motive is, you know, work is really slow and I got to make the food go a long ways. And the carpet's running out and I'm trying to hold it as long as possible. So that's why I don't want shoes all over the carpet. Have you ever thought of the heart of the reason why you need to obey? See, if, if it's not obeying so you don't go to hell, because you know the heart of the person giving you the rules. So in other words, when you come to the Lord, you're trying to obey because he sees something down the road. He's not trying to cut off your fun. He's trying to empower you to walk what he has called you to walk in and empower you to keep moving forward. 
So when you understand that, you realize that God's not trying to be mean. He's trying to help you to not make horrible decisions that, you can, call, that can cost you. So once again, you get back to the heart of the matter. The heart of the matter is Christ. Now, why am I saying all of this? Because this is the type of stuff that hinders our ability to mourn because we get complacent. We get in this position where we, where we say, well, I'm going to heaven. What does it matter anyway? But remember, how quick do you respond? Look at David. We talked about David. In, in, in 2 Samuel, I'll just kind of sum it up for you. In 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse 1, he should have been at battle, but he was not doing what he was supposed to be doing. He was not being consistent. Okay? 2 Samuel 11, 2 through 4. What did he do? He, he should have turned away when he saw Bathsheba. He should have never sent for her. He should have never slept with her. He knew she was married. But what was causing that spiritual sensitivity to allow him to keep moving forward? Something was happening. Why wasn't he doing and seeking God like he was when he was a shepherd boy? Because he was still going through the motions, and that's what happens. But here's the thing. He lost that spiritual sensitivity because even after he did all that, he stayed silent and the Bible says that his, his, he felt like his bones were wasting away. Like I said, in, in between verse 4 and 5, we don't know how long that was before he confessed it before the Lord. But here's the key to understanding this. That spiritual sensitivity or insensitivity caused him to kill Uriah. So when you start to not have that spiritual sensitivity in your life, you will start to affect people around you. <laughs> and you may, you know, people may start looking at you and say, man, I thought you were following Christ. What's happening? You, this is what we say. Well, you're just being legalistic. Don't judge me. Don't judge me. No, there, there, something's not adding up. And if you would take the time or I would take the time to say, okay, wh why am I being laxed in this area? What's causing my spiritual insensitivity to happen? Because like I said, people around you will notice the difference. But listen, it starts by slow turning away. David didn't go to battle as was the king's custom. One little thing put him in the wrong spot because he was not doing what he was supposed to be doing. What, what am, why am I saying all that? When you first started serving the Lord, you were doing things that was keeping that fire Right? You were just reading. Nobody told you, hey, you got to read or you got to go to growth track or all these things. You were just like, I want to go to growth track because I want to know more about God. I want to go to this Bible study because I want to hear more about God. I want to listen to worship music because I want to get into God's presence. But what caused that to cease and stop? The key is something happened that caused the sensitivity to start to, to decrease in your life. And that's what will hinder your passion, and that's what will stop you from mourning over sin. Now listen, even though we talk about relationship, that doesn't make God or the Holy Spirit or Jesus a pushover. Read Ananias and Sapphira. Read the book of Revelation. But, we're, but God deals differently when you're in relationship. Number two, what's the sign we've grieved him? The Bible says in John 10, 27, my sheep hear my voice, I know them, and they follow me. The temperature, like I said earlier, is how quickly you can hear him and respond to him. It's not that he's not speaking. It's just we're not listening because stuff has now creeped in 
and started clogging up our sensitivity and ability to hear. When you read in Ephesians, because we talked about it earlier, about grieving the Holy Spirit, I challenge you to go back and read Ephesians chapter 4 during the week, and you'll see some things that you will see causes the grieving to happen. Listen, one of the greatest things that God gives us in our life is that ability to recognize when we're going off the path or the ability to recognize when he's praising us for something. Because, see, you can even get in the mode where you do a lot of good things and it's like nobody's listening, nobody's paying attention. God is paying attention. We're just not receiving his praise. Maybe you've been hard on yourself for so long and you feel like you're just running around doing this doing that and you haven't set time set time aside to say God are you pleased with what I'm doing for you see because the bottom line is it's all about relationship that's what it's about how do you know that some things are in your life that your sensitivity is dulling maybe your prayer time is nothing more than crisis prayers Maybe your reading time is a checklist off the box. Maybe the house of God is now a burden to you. See, when you understand that it's relationship, he's always reaching out. He's always saying, hey, let's talk, let's visit. But things in our life begin to say, well, like like the fig leaves. We go hide ourselves. You know, we feel like God doesn't want us. God doesn't want to be around us. Listen. If you start moving away from God, don't let that sensitivity get to a part where you can no longer hear him. And now you're serving God because you don't want to go to hell, but you're miserable. See, that's where a lot of people are. They just, well, I don't, I don't want to make God look bad. I'm going to look stupid if I go back and do this and that. No, no, no. It's about relationship. It's about that passion and that joy that you have with Jesus when you're walking with him. Now, I want you to see something because we're going to wrap up here. Remember Peter? When Peter denied Christ in front of that little servant girl like we spoke about earlier? Listen, the Bible says he went out and wept bitterly. He didn't weep because Jesus was going to rise from the dead and then stand at the, seated at the right hand of God and summon Peter to judgment and cast him aside. You know what caused him to weep? He's the relationship he had with Jesus. He knew that I let him down. Because that word that, that Jesus says, when it says when he stared at Peter, it says that it's a word called impeblo. It means it, when, when Jesus looked at Peter, Peter can see Jesus' heart breaking. That's what caused him to weep bitterly. So when we're doing things, when we're not following the Lord, when we're walking away, are we looking back to see Jesus looking at us? My mom used to always tell me that. Picture what Jesus would be looking at you and saying, baby. Picture how Jesus would view that. But it's really a biblical thing if you think about it. Now, it says, blessed are those who mourn. He uses the same word that that is used in Hebrew with Jacob mourned over Joseph. So when you think about that, it's not just a little, you know, make yourself cry type thing, right? It's really understanding that, man, what am I doing? What am I doing? He was there in the midnight hour. He was there when I was doing things I shouldn't be doing. When I walked away, he was there wooing, enticing, pulling, 
And that's the one that we slap in the face with the things that we do. So when we understand that it's not about God wanting to spank us and and drive us into hell, it's about relationship, which means that Jesus is saying, hey, I see where you are and I'm here for you. I want to pull you out. I want to help you. Whatever you're going through, I'm going to empower you to keep going because I love you. I didn't come down here to just save you, to make you miserable. I came down here to save you and empower you and fill you with love and passion and joy and peace and long-suffering, all of these things that he has given us because we're complete in him. Now, and then it says, I'm going I'm to stop here. I'm going to stop here. <laughs> no, no, I'm, I'm going to stop. <laughs> when it says, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. When you look at that word comforted, it's the word parakletos. You remember in the book of John, it says that he will send the comforter. Right? He will send the comforter. He tells, that, uh, tells us that a couple of times in the scripture. See how much I'm skipping? John 14, 26. But the comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance. Whatsoever I have said to you. And John 16, 7, it says, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It's expedient for you that I go away. For if I do not go away, the comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. So basically what it's saying is blessed are those who mourn. Blessed who are poor in spirit, those who mourn, for they will be comforted. How are you comforted? By the spirit. Remember it talks about don't, do not grieve the Holy Spirit that has sealed you to the day of redemption. Which means you're saved, you're in, you're following him. But when you begin to mourn over the fact that God, I'm not where I should be. God, I keep doing this thing. God, my devotion to you is, 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 has become religious. It is not, is, it's not done out of relationship. When you acknowledge that, when you mourn over that, the Holy Spirit will come and comfort you. You got to understand, the Pharisees knew nothing about this. All they knew was religion. And Jesus was trying to pierce through the darkness and get them to relationship. So when you understand that, you will understand that, how are you comforted? You know, Saturday I was thinking uh, about this. And, you know, it really started to, to get to me because I was looking at some things in my life. And then I asked myself, Kelly, when was the last time you mourned over something? Right? And it had been a while. You know, I was looking at the things that I was doing or not doing or things that I used to do. And I was like, why is that? I started doing spiritual inventory in my own life and I came across some things. And when I came across those things that were not necessarily sinful, it was just things that the Lord was showing me. And I just got on my, my knees and said, God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I, I realize that I'm causing grief. Because you see, once you understand that it's not about, oh, I'm a, like my papa, <laughs> he used to, remember, he, he used to try to, he didn't whip me. I was good. <laughs> but the other cousins I had, he'd be like, hey, do that. And he'd whip. 
That's not what God does. You know, God is patient, gentle. Does he want you to do things that you shouldn't be doing? Absolutely not. But go back to relationship, father, son, or daughter. Now, they, they got some hard-headed kids. I'll, I, I'll say. I raised, you know, some, uh, a kid till he was 21. So I, I know the hard-headedness. But you still love them. You still want what's best for them. Let me ask you this. When you do something to someone, offend them. When they come to you weeping, saying, I'm so sorry that I did this. I'm so, I know I hurt you. Listen, I'm sorry. I take full responsibility. What does that do to you? It breaks your heart. You want to be like, don't worry about it. You want to swoop down and pick somebody. Well, it'd be weird if it was a coworker, so don't do that. <laughs> but you want to swoop down and make everything right. See, when you see yourself in Christ and you start to realize, listen, it's not the fear of the Lord, per se, fear as far as going to hell, that brings me to a place of mourning over the things that I'm doing or not doing. It's when I start to think the times with the miscarriages, when I was screaming at God, when I said, I don't understand why you're letting this happen. And I was fussing and, and beating my feet, my feet and like a child. And God was just saying, I'm still here. I'm not going anywhere. When, when my dad was sick and he was dying and life was leaving him, Jesus was there. Hugging our family, saying, I'm here. I'm not going anywhere. That's what makes me mourn over sin. Because I'm hurting my best friend, my master, my savior, the one who knew everything that I was going to do and still came to this earth, took everything upon himself, took the beatings, the, the, the cat of nine tails, hung on the cross, he had me on his mind, he had you on his mind, and he knew what you were going to do, he knew that you would throw fits, he knew that you would run away, and he still said, I'm going to take it for you because I know where you're going. Listen, it's relationship. Passion comes from relationship. Passion comes when you realize the goodness of God, that easily he could have smashed me. He could wipe everybody off the face of this earth, and he would no less be God. He would no less be glorified, but he doesn't do that. He puts up with our kicking, our screaming, our misunderstandings, and he wraps us up and picks us up and says, you know what? You got issues. But I came here to fix those issues. And if you don't quit, I won't quit. Can we stand? Praise God. <laughs> Praise God. Lord, we just come before you right now. God, we thank you, Lord, that it is your goodness that leads us to repentance. God, Lord, we thank you right now that you are all powerful. And God, we just come right now. And we acknowledge you as Lord. There may be some of you here that say, I, all I know is religion. I have never come to know the Lord as my personal Savior. I have not been able to mourn because I didn't realize how awesome a God that, that was there that I was offending. But today you can make it right. I want to see your hand. If you, I want to pray with you if you want to receive the Lord tonight. Uh, don't be shy. Just lift your hand. Praise God. I see your hand, brother. 
Anybody else? Who wants to just say, you know what? I'm tired of, of the fence. I, I see your hand. Praise God. Praise God. Hands are going up. Praise God. Pray this prayer with me. Dear Heavenly Father. Come on, everybody pray with me. Dear Heavenly Father. I come to you in the name of your son, Jesus. I acknowledge that I have sinned against you and only you. Thank you for dying for me, for taking my place. I confess that you are Lord and I repent of everything that I've ever done. Be my Lord, be my master, in Jesus' name, amen. Praise God. Listen, praise God. Listen, if you prayed that prayer for the first time, there's a card in ba- on the back of your pew. It says, I made a decision. I want you to fill it out and give it to one of the pastors or one of the altar workers here. And we just want to have record that you made that decision for the rest of us. I want you to just lift your hands. And I want, as we pray, Father, I just ask right now, every hand lifted. God, if there are things that are stifling the sensitivity of the Spirit, everybody's hands that is up, Lord, I ask that you would would show them, that you would reveal it to them, and God, that you would empower them to lay those things down. And Lord, I ask right now for the ability to mourn over sin, Lord. Come on, there's nothing that feels better when you just lay yourself at the feet of Jesus and you just cry it out. You just let him know, God, I'm sorry. Lord, I thank you that that you see everything that I am. You see everything that I'm doing, and yet you still choose to have me as your child. You still choose to use me in your kingdom. Father, we ask right now for every hand that is up that you would give them a revelation of your goodness, of your grace, And God, I I pray against every bondage, every sin, every struggle right now. We lay it at the foot of Jesus Christ. And God, we thank you. We pick up power and might. In Jesus' name, I pray and ask. And the church said, amen and amen. Praise God. Praise God. Well, that's it for the night. I want to tell you to have a blessed afternoon or blessed night. (laughs) 